Welcome to the I Matter Podcast, future-proof your business, career, teams, and organization. Here's your host, Gahan Pereira. If you're a business leader or a business owner and you're thinking about the future, then you must look at how the world's economic power is changing. Until recently, there were seven countries that dominated the global economy. Canada, the USA, the UK, France, Germany, Italy, and Japan. And we know them as the G7. Now that's today, but by 2030, the picture will change. According to PricewaterhouseCoopers, by 2030, the G7 will be overtaken by seven emerging economies, which we call the E7. They're Brazil, China, India, Indonesia, Mexico, Russia, and Turkey. Now that's 2030, which isn't so far away. But what's next? Look ahead another 20 years to 2050. See, along with the E7 countries come another seven countries, the frontier markets, or the F7. These are Bangladesh, Colombia, Morocco, Nigeria, Peru, Philippines, and Vietnam. So that's the world that will unfold for us over the next few decades. Now, I know I've just rattled off the names of many countries, 14 of them that are emerging, and it's pretty hard to visualize that without a map, but I can tell you that six of those 14 are Asian countries, China, India, Indonesia, Bangladesh, Philippines, and Vietnam. It's no wonder that many people are calling this the Asian century. So what about Australia, where I live, and I know many of you are Australian as well? Some people are calling Australia the Switzerland of Asia. It's not a bad analogy. See, like Switzerland, we've got a lot going for us in a very important region of the world, and we are ideally placed to take advantage of it. In fact, if you could imagine anywhere at all in the world to live, you're completely objective about it, what sort of things would you look for? Well, I reckon you'd look for things like places of democratic government, a strong economy, a stable currency, English speaking, a high level of education, respect for human rights, and of course things like a good lifestyle. And our little country in the world's smallest continent would be right up there near the top. There's never been a better time to live where we live if we take advantage of it. That's why I was so interested to talk to China expert David Thomas about the impact of China on our doorstep. For decades, David's been urging Australian businesses to embrace China, India, and other emerging economies. And now he sees it not just as an opportunity, but an essential, an imperative. I had a chance to talk to David recently, and I think you'll enjoy listening to this conversation. Hello, this is Gihan Pereira, and today I'm speaking with David Thomas from Think Global. David's a thought leader and an expert in the Asia-Pacific region and offshoring, but particularly in China. He's recently come back from a trip to China, and he's about to go on another one. Well, encouraging Chinese companies to, to invest in Australia and encouraging Australian companies to also look offshore as well. And China is one of the biggest uh, trading partners. And uh, I want to talk to David, not just about China, but about the whole idea of thinking global and looking at what's going to happen in the future with a more global world. And I think this is going to be relevant for, for all leaders everywhere because uh, this is a very much a part of our world that's going to be a very big part of our future in the next 25 years or so. So welcome, David. Thank you, Gihan. Great to be here. Now, when I first met you, David, you were doing this. You were taking delegations, taking missions uh, to countries around the world, particularly China. But I noticed that you've also recently been talking about the fact that maybe we don't need to go to China because China is coming to us and other parts of Asia are coming to us. So tell me what's changed in that time. 
Well, the major change is that China now has a fairly well-developed going-out strategy. So it's all about investing overseas, participating in overseas markets, industries, sectors, um, not just in mining anymore, but now in a whole range of other areas. And so there's this big wave of investment, business, migration coming out of China into the rest of the world. And Australia is very well positioned for that. So these days, I actually spend just as much time working with Chinese and Asian entrepreneurs and investors looking to do things in Australia. And that's really interesting because that's, that's quite a big shift from what happened when, how long have we known each other, David? Maybe uh, at least 15 years wow. uh, with what we were doing at the, what, what you were doing at the time when you started Think Global. That's absolutely right. Yeah, I think I started in 2003, roughly. So yeah, so it's 12 years since we first met. Yeah. Yeah, and I think that if you talk to the average man or woman on the street in Australia and you ask them about China, they know that a lot of products are manufactured in China and they imported to Australia and they know that China was one of the big drivers behind the, the mining and resources boom, which has slowed down a little bit, but they probably don't think of much else. Well, yes, uh, you're probably right. That, that's where most people are at right now. Um, but it is quite significant that China, uh, China has invested $65 billion into Australia in the last five years or so. And Australia is China's second largest outbound destination for foreign investment um, after the US, which is quite significant for a small country of only 20 million people um, that we are only behind the US in terms of Chinese outbound investment. And what's interesting now is that the investment is coming not from state-owned enterprises and institutions, but more from private individuals, high net worth um, people, and also entrepreneurs and private sector businesses looking to invest in new sectors, particularly infrastructure, uh, real estate, um, healthcare, education, tourism, and financial services. And so, you know, Australia is very well positioned in those areas, um, excluding mining now. And um, we're starting to just see the beginning of this new wave. And I did notice that you said that, David, because you said a couple of times that uh, you, you're dealing with Chinese entrepreneurs and there is a very much a big entrepreneurial push because I think, and again, a lot of people think of China as being state-controlled, government-controlled, everything happens at a central level. But what you're saying is that, no, there are people who are doing it at a, on a one-on-one -on -one basis as well. Yes, lots of change there. I mean, 20 years ago, 95% of Chinese businesses were state-owned. Um, today, I think it's only about 50%. So there's been a big shift, and there's more and more individuals now running family-owned and uh, individual-type you know, private sector businesses. And that, that is the most exciting future for China, is moving more in that direction and away from the sort of sl slightly bureaucratic, slightly clunky government-owned institutions that perhaps, you know, don't don't necessarily run as well as they could. And what if you're a leader in Australia, if you're a business owner or an entrepreneur in Australia, what does that mean for us? Well, it means I think that uh, we should be looking to engage with these Chinese entrepreneurs who who bring with them a market of over a billion people, um, usually large amounts of capital and an enterprising entrepreneurial culture and a desire to invest in new sectors. I think we have an opportunity to work with those guys in Australia to effectively export our capability into the Chinese market. And th that to me is the most exciting uh, opportunity for all of us. Tell me, tell me what you mean by in Australia, David. Are you saying that we actually operate from Australia, like literally in Australia? Or are we talking about creating partnerships with Chinese organizations? Or are we talking about taking Australian companies into China? 
Well, the ultimate goal is to get Australian capability into China, not not necessarily companies, but capability. And China has a desire to go out and invest in new innovation, technology, ideas, um, uh, opportunities uh, in new sectors. Take healthcare, for example, which is quite hot right now. Um, and at the moment, we're seeing a lot of our healthcare products going to China from Australia um, through one or two well-known groups like Blackmore's. You, you've probably mm. seen. Their, their share price increased 500% last year, thanks largely to uh, China coming on stream in terms of buying their products. In fact, I read just this week that um, the, the, the market for Blackmores in Australia is valued at somewhere around $50 billion in, in China, mm -hmm. uh, which compares to about $10 billion in Australia. So China's market for Blackmores is five times the mm -hmm. size of their Australian domestic market. So it's, con it's very conceivable that in the next dec decade or so, Blackmores will become a Chinese company, not an Australian company, because their market's so much bigger over there. And that's a great example of an Australian success story of taking something that's unique that comes from a, a source that is widely trusted in China with a big brand name like Blackmores behind it um, is now being extremely successful in China. And that's a great opportunity for smaller players who are perhaps beginning this journey to start looking at the size of the China opportunity, particularly in a sector like health, healthcare, um, aged care. Um, I'm doing some work at the moment for a group in China who are looking to build a private hospital in Australia. Um, they're bringing investment, they're bringing uh, capability and infrastructure from China but the reason they want to invest in Australia is mainly to get access to our technology, our research our, our uh, you know, the high quality services that we provide so that they can eventually learn how to operate a first world um, healthcare service and, and ultimately um, improve the delivery of their services in the China market, which is still a bit primitive and, and uh, bureaucratic, although changing very quickly. And it's interesting because it seems like that's going to be a win-win situation, isn't it, that, that we get uh, the benefits of having that investment in Australia and they get the benefits of learning from the way that we do things here. Yeah, and that's a perfect partnership, isn't it, where um, they bring the market and the capital, uh, we bring the technology, the know-how, the innovation, uh, because we do many things in Australia quite well, actually, quite effectively. In quite a small market, we have companies that are very effective at, at producing and distributing products. Uh, imagine how successful they could be in a market of a billion people rather than just 20 million. Yes, in fact, I remember maybe 10 years ago, David, you were saying to Australian companies that if you can succeed in Australia in this you know, relatively tiny market of 20 million people, then you can, you can succeed anywhere. Yes, yes. And there's no better market than China right now for Australia because we're just in the process of finally finalizing a free trade agreement, mm -hmm. which will open up China to us in a whole range of areas uh, where tariffs and duties will be reduced to zero over the next few years and where we'll suddenly get access uh, that other countries don't have. So uh, to, a, to a market of a billion middle class in the next decade. So, you know, a billion middle class consumers in China uh, with, a, with an appetite for food, for healthcare, for education, uh, tourism and services, you know, this, is, this could be a great time mm. for Australia to get engaged. And it's already happening, isn't it? I, I read somewhere that already China is our number one source of uh, tourists, much bigger than anywhere else, which is quite amazing given that it's only happened in the last, you can tell me the last 10 or 15 years, I would guess. 
Yeah, less. Yeah, less. I mean, yeah, I think by the end, well, it was predicted by Tourism Australia about two years ago that by the end of this decade, there'd be a million Chinese tourists coming to Australia every year. We'll actually probably achieve that this year, 2016. We'll we'll probably get a million tourists to Australia from China in this next 12 months. Um, And that's, yeah, that's very significant. It means that China has become our biggest market for tourism. Uh, Our challenge now is to adapt to that and start building product and capability and bilingual services and so on that can ensure that Chinese tourists get a great experience when they come here. Great. And I, and I do want to come back to China, David, but I, I want to ask you, do you think that this, these, these opportunities also apply to other Asian countries? I mean, India is the other obvious choice, as, as is Bangladesh, Indonesia. These are all countries which are going to have significant impact, both in terms of population and economy, in the next 20 or 30 years. How do you think they fit into this picture? Yes, they certainly do in the long term. And in fact, we'll, we'll probably hear a lot about India this year because I think there'll be a prime minister's mission um, a bit later. And we'll probably have a free, dra- free trade agreement with India by the end of this year. So we're going to hear a lot about India in the next uh, few months. But right now, in the short term, and when I'm saying short term, I mean, you know, five to 10 years, um, I think China is the massive opportunity for us because they have a clearly defined strategy to go out and invest overseas, whereas India and some of these other countries don't. Right. Um, if anything, they're more about bringing investment in uh, rather than taking investment out. And so um, the China, um, I think that the outbound investment from China is something like $200 billion a year, um, and that's predicted to increase by 10% a year. If Australia only got 10 or 20% of that, it's a very significant sum, and it's going to increase by 10% a year for the next 10 years. So we, we really need to focus on that. We, there's nothing like that coming out of some of the other countries you mentioned. Yes. Okay, great. So, so let's turn back to China then, David. Uh, again, if you're a business leader or a business owner or an entrepreneur in Australia and you're looking at the China opportunity, is it for everyone or is it only for, you know, you said Blackmores is one of the smaller organizations, but still a listed company. So is it only for companies at that level, organizations at that level, or do you think it's even for, for much smaller organizations? Yeah, I think it's for for smaller organisations as well. But one of the problems we have um, in Australia is we're a very you know we're, we're a market that's dominated by small and medium sized companies, mainly small and micro. I think something like ninety percent of Australian companies are small and micro businesses. So we we are quite small, um, but nevertheless we have very high capability. Um, uh, uh, we we operate in a very competitive and difficult environment. Um, but our problem with China is that we don't speak the language, we don't understand the culture, we don't understand their environment, we don't have the connections, and in most cases, we don't have the money. And that that does cause you know significant challenges for Australian companies going in you know on their own to try and open up an opportunity there and that's why what I'm saying is that the best opportunity I think is for us you know companies here to match themselves up with Chinese entrepreneurs looking to invest in their area of expertise Mm -hmm. and work with them to develop the China market and that that's I think where the where everybody can get involved. Okay, great, great. So let's let's take an example, David. I'm sure you've worked with companies like that, uh, yep. where you've helped make that match happen. Can you talk through that, and you know, at whatever level of detail you can? 
Yeah, sure. Well, uh, I'm working with the medical equipment business at the moment. They they manufacture high end um, medical equipment, uh, things like hospital beds and uh, wheelchairs and uh, you know, a whole range of um, equipment. Uh, they they operate a fairly unique design and uh, they import product from around the world and they create the what they think is the best in the world, based in Melbourne actually in Australia. Um, I have a Chinese entrepreneur in China who is um, buying up public hospitals and refurbishing them and turning them into private hospitals. And in that process, he's looking for the best in the world type medical equipment. And he also has an interest in doing business in Australia because in the long term, he would like to live here. He'd like to migrate here and he's like, he'd like his children to be educated here. So he, he has a particular interest in Australia, uh, whereas, of course, he could source this type of equip- equipment from other parts of the world. But Australia is the place he wants to ultimately live in so we've managed to do a deal where he will start to invest in this melbourne-based medical equipment business to help them export their medical equipment into china particularly into his hospitals because he's already ordering a lot himself but also into some of the other hospitals with whom he already has connections so here's a good example of an australian company who thanks to a chinese entrepreneur is now able to open up the china market which without him I don't think they'd ever have been able to do. So how does that sort of arrangement get started, David? How do those sort of partnerships start? How do people find each other? Well, in this case, it was thanks to me. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that I, I get engaged by Chinese entrepreneurs all the time looking to do similar sorts of things. So so what I'm doing often is finding companies in the right areas um, with a view to putting that match together. Um, for example, I'm doing one at the moment in the sort of um, baby care, mother care area. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have a Chinese entrepreneur in uh, uh, Guangzhou who's one of the largest manufacturers of toddler's shoes in in China, um, he he has a long-term interest in Australia for his own family and children um, for the future, and we're in the process actually of trying to match him with a a baby care business here who has a opportunity through him to access the China market. Not meant not to mention the opportunity to to source uh, his toddler's shoes into the Australian market. So that creates a kind of two two way. Mm-hmm. Opportunity. So, so it, they, these sort of things come about mainly through me. I mean, this is the kind of work that I do these days, working with these entrepreneurs. But of course, um, there's many, many people in China who have an interest in Australia. It wouldn't be difficult for uh, SMEs to start looking to source those sort of people themselves. But that that has to be done over time, building relationships, getting on the ground, uh, coming on missions. You know, going on missions. Um, for example, the Prime Minister Turnbull will be taking a mission to China in April and there'll be I imagine hundreds of people on that mission Um, but this can't be done uh, sitting at your desk in uh, in Sydney you've got to get on a plane and go and start building relationships and and that's part of the challenge here because everyone's very busy um, in their domestic market and not everybody is able to to think long term like that. Okay, so talk me through that a little bit, David, because you're talking about building relationships. Uh, What sort of things, if you're an Australian leader or entrepreneur, might you be surprised by or you'd need to learn before you can forge that kind of successful relationship? Well, yes. I mean, it's interesting to talk about this because China has has only had a legal system for the last 20-something years, 22 years. The oldest law firm in China is a group called King & Wood, and they're only 22 years old. So you, so before that, there really wasn't a legal system in China. Um, and so 
it's hard to imagine operating in a system where there's no you know recourse to the courts or to the legal system or to contracts to get to resolve disputes so the only way a system like that can operate is through trusted networks you only do business with people you know and people you trust and your family and friends and schoolmates and university colleges and people who you would um, regard as people that you can 100% trust because if things go wrong then your network can help sort out those problems mm. rather than have to go to some third party like a, a court or an arbitrator to, to resolve them for you. Now, in the Western world, we, we're kind of spoiled, really, because we have a well-developed legal system and we rely on contracts and courts to resolve disputes, although those people who've been through that system don't <laughs> actually recommend it. But, but nevertheless, we tend to, to think first about getting the deal done and then secondly about building the relationship. In fact, you, in theory, in, in Australia, you could do business with, with people that you don't trust as long as you had a, what you thought was a watertight contract. Yes, yes. Um, now, in China, it's completely different. So it all starts with the relationship. So if you want to become a trusted partner, people, uh, somebody who would be regarded as, as a safe person to do business with in an environment like China, you'd have to develop those relationships yourself. Um, and that takes time. You know, I've been doing it for 25 years, um, and it's not something that you can do from scratch. And I think that the two the two things you have to start with is an understanding and appreciation of Chinese culture. There's lots of great books to read on that. There's there's one written by a good friend of mine called Jeff Baker and his wife Helen Zhang, and they they've written a book called Inside the Chinese Mind, which I would highly recommend to anybody trying to get their you know to take some baby steps around understanding some of the cultural differences that's one thing you've definitely got to start with and of course the other is to get on the ground and show up regularly and make friends and make contacts and have lunches and dinners and build family links as well and mm. and over time and it does take time you will then be able to start doing business okay yeah so it's interesting you said that in australia you go okay let's get the deal done first and then start building the relationship and it sounds like very much it's the other way around Yes, and, and actually it wouldn't do us any harm to do it the other way around here either. Anyone who's, anyone who's been through the process of trying to resolve a, a commercial dispute through the courts would probably tell you that it's, it's not a very happy or, or easy process anyway. Yeah, I think that's right. So what happens after the deal's done, David? After you know, You've got a strong relationship, the deal's done. Again, are there things that you should know about dealing with China and Chinese entrepreneurs while you're going through the process as partners or as joint venture partners or maybe even as a um, you create a new company? Is that the way it normally works or do you work as partners? Well, yes. I mean, you always have to maintain control and invest in the relationship. That's always part of it. The, the, the Chinese regard this as a long-term uh, intergenerational type exercise, not just a short-term thing. So you always have to invest in the relationship. So talking about the deal that we've just done with these, this medical equipment provider, um, the, the Chinese client has actually moved to Melbourne uh, to work closely with them. So mm -hmm. our client here is now you know, effectively working with them. They're lunching. They're having dinners. His wife and children have now moved over to Melbourne. They're, they're all getting to know each other. Um, that that that's a quite a big investment in time and effort, but it will pay back many times over because they're now you know in direct contact with each other and and building that relationship on the ground. It seems almost the opposite of what's happening in other parts of the world, where teams are becoming more distributed. We've got 
video conferencing, online collaboration tools, those sort of things where you you might even see people face-to-face, but face-to-face means uh, on a video screen rather than in person. So it sounds like that sort of relationship building is almost exactly the opposite of the way that the world is moving, uh, that the way the business world is moving in some other areas. Yes, that's probably true. I go to China five or six times a year, um, and that's because you can't do it by video conference. <laughs> And, the, and a lot of business gets done over meals. Um, I, I used to have a client. He, 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 he's got, he, we, we don't work together anymore. But for, for over a year, um, he was retaining me to help him in Australia, uh, to open doors, to build relationships, to, to help him with his Australian strategy. And, and every month he paid me on, on the dot without fail. You know, um, there was a sort of monthly retainer figure. But we only ever talked, we only ever met over lunch and we never talked business. And the, the lunch usually involved his whole family. Mm-hmm. Um, and we never talked about the business. The business I always talked to his uh, underlings about outside the lunch. But whenever I met the boss, it was only over a meal. And his family were always present. Um, and we never talked business. Uh, but that that doesn't mean that we didn't get a lot of things done. We did, but it was, we, it was never um, in that environment. And what if you what if you're a leader or a manager within an organisation, David? So you may not be a senior manager, you may not be an owner, but you see an opportunity in China uh, for whatever area you're responsible for. Um, how do you get how do you get buy-in from the rest of the company to start this sort of relationship? Yes, well, I mean, a good starting point is to think about who within the company has Chinese origins. Um, the number of Australian uh, Australians uh, who have who were born in China has doubled in the last ten years. Right, so, something like um, I think it's four hundred thousand now. Um, Chinese uh, Chinese born Australian citizens um, now. So so many companies already have within their teams Chinese speaking, you know, Chinese aware, Chinese conscious um, in, uh, uh, employees who actually could be the key to their to opening the door into China. Um, and yet often they get forgotten, they get put into, uh, you know, uh, tech roles um, or, or mini roles and don't get given senior management or leadership responsibility. And I think that's a, uh, that's a mistake. I've actually got a good story, actually. There's a friend of mine called Max who runs a, a small accounting firm in Sydney. Uh, one of his employees is a chap called Tom who was basically generating tax returns and wasn't particularly noticed by Max as being particularly important or relevant. But he was Chinese. And one day uh, Tom walked into Max's office and said, Max, I'm getting married. And Max said, oh, I didn't even realize that you had a girlfriend. And, uh, t- and Tom said, so Max, I would really be honored if you would come to my wedding. And Max, of course, said, yeah, I'd be delighted. And then Tom said, no, but Max, the wedding's going to be in China. <laughs> and Max was a bit sort of taken aback by this, but went home, talked to his wife, and they said, yeah, no, let's go. That'd be fun. They turned up in China for the wedding, and they went to Tom's house or his father's house. And, and Max said it wasn't so much a house. It was more a resort. You know, it was a mm. golf course with villas around it. Mm. Um, and it turned out that his, his father, Tom's father, was a multi-millionaire property developer in China. Um, and, of course, after several days of being treated as their guest of honor, Max and the father sat down to talk business. And now 
Max is representing this man in Australia, and they're now starting to do property developments together. Um, and that, you know, that's a great example of how a fairly small business accounting firm mm-hmm. who had no, no real links into China, had no real opportunity in China, um, so there was a Chinese guy working in the office who opened that door through his family and has completely changed their business. So um, it, can, it can be done. Yes, and it's it's one of those really interesting examples, David, where you might think, well, that he was just lucky. It just was just a coincidence. But as you say, those sort of coincidences and those sort of serendipitous moments are going to happen more and more. And there's 150,000 Chinese students in Australia today. Um, these are one-child families where the, you know, the, the one child has come to Australia, to an Australian university, 150,000 of them. And let me tell you that to send your child to university in Australia is not a, not a low-cost exercise. Mm, you, you've, got to be, you've got to be reasonably well-off to be able to do that, and you could be extremely well-off. Um, and so these families this, of this 150,000 all represent opportunity. And I'm always encouraging Australian companies to hire an international student as an intern and to provide them with work experience because apart from having a hardworking person in your office, you could potentially open up a door into a a rich Chinese family or a network or a, a series of opportunities that you could never get without them. And I'd, I'd agree with that, David. At the University of Western Australia, where I studied, they have a graduate mentor program where, where graduates are invited to mentor some of the final year students. And I signed up for that. And about six years ago, I was matched up with a young Chinese student who was doing a computer science degree and was quite keen to graduate, but then go back to China and run his own business. And I, I learned so much about, I mean, it's only a little tiny glimpse, but I learned so much about China and the way you do business there just by chatting with him. And I think that I got more out of that mentoring experience than he did. But I was so grateful for that because uh, until then, I'd never actually spoken to somebody who was actually going to do it directly. Yes, well, right now we we can start doing business with with China without actually going there because there are so many of them coming here, not to mention the million tourists that you just mentioned. There's the 150,000 students. There's about 20,000 business migrants a year coming here from China. Um, And uh, there's so much coming this way um, uh, in the form of tourist students and entrepreneurs that you could actually do business with China without ever going there potentially if, if you could build the right relationships. And it it seems to me, David, from following the sort of things that you've said today and also reading your newsletters and watching your videos, that this is not just an opportunity, but pretty soon it's going to become a necessity. Uh, I remember hearing you say somewhere recently that um, we're going to become an Asian country very soon. So tell me more about what you mean by that, because I thought that was fascinating. Yes, well, it's quite publicly available, um, the, the numbers behind this, but um, the, the, the Australian government produces something called the Intergenerational Report, which basically uh, looks at our future population growth. And in particular, it addresses the problem of our aging population, um, which is that you know, we're going to have so many old people soon that we won't have an, enough young taxpayers to, to, to keep the whole country going. So one, one of their predictions is that the, um, the Australian population will have to double 
double in the next 30 to 40 years uh, in order to cope with this shrinking tax base. So if you think about that, if, if our population is going to double, that means it's got to increase by around 20 million. And, and you have to ask the question, where will the 20 million come from? Because uh, our birth rate in Australia is less than one per person. So it's not going to come from inside. We can't organically double our population. It will have to come from outside and through migration. And you have to probably come to the conclusion that we'll probably receive about 20 million new migrants from Asia, mm-hmm. uh, which if you add that to the 20 million or so people who are you know, Australian, um, it means that half of our population will be Asian in the next 30 to 40 years. Um, and that's, that's already happening in some parts of Australia. Uh, you know, uh, w- w- there are many Chinese communities starting to build up in Australia, particularly in Sydney. There's, there's Hurstville, there's Chatswood, there's Parramatta, which already have large numbers of Asian migrants in them. But there's, of course, still many parts of Australia where there aren't many migrant, um, uh, Asian migrants. And we're going to see that change everywhere. And that's very significant because many of these migrants bring with them money, um, resources, capital, um, access to markets, access to technology that we don't have here. Um, and if we don't engage with them, there's always the danger that they will um, in, you know, take over us. And I don't want that to happen. I want us all to work with them and build together um, Australia as part of the Asian century, which is clearly the, the big opportunity. Yeah, it certainly is. It certainly is. You're painting a really exciting future, David. I know there'll be a lot of people who want to get in touch with you so that they can start taking the first steps into, uh, into some of these opportunities that are, that are right here, right now, as well as in the future. So tell me what sort of work you do and how people can get in touch with you if they, if they want to engage with you further. Great. Well, to get in touch with me is quite easy. You can do that through my website, um, which is uh, www.thinkglobal.com.au um, or email us at support at thinkglobal.com.au. Um, but the best ways to get involved with us are on our missions. We take two missions a year to China. One is in January and the other is around September uh, where we go to a place called Xiamen in, in southeastern China for a major event there uh, called CFIT um, and that's going to be very big uh, this year in September. So I, I would say that the best way to get started is to get involved in one of our missions um, and we always take a, a, a re- reasonably large group of people, most of whom have never been to China before and we hold their hands and introduce them to the opportunity on the ground and and effectively facilitate introductions to lots of people and i I think that's the best way to get started Um, and then of course from that um, other opportunities will emerge Uh, most of the time now i work with chinese entrepreneurs looking to be matched with australian companies in different sectors particularly the ones i've talked about today which are real estate healthcare education tourism uh, services Um, and if uh, if people are interested in uh, becoming um, available to one of those entrepreneurs and and interested in being matched with them of course uh, we'd be interested to hear from them yeah brilliant David, thanks so much for sharing your ideas and your insights. I, I do think it's a really exciting future and some really exciting opportunities there. I'm going to give you the last word. Any last message that you've got, anything you want to say again or you, uh, you yeah, want to yeah. add? Well, I suppose I, I think 
um, if, just to get political for a moment, um, I think that we've had a bit of a lost decade um, in Australia. We've we've had a, a, you know this sort of um, turmoil uh, in the Labour Party and the Liberal Party over their leadership for ten years, and we've wasted, I think, the opportunity to really engage uh, with Asia, um, despite the fact that we've had this free trade agreement coming along. But I think the next ten years, uh, there's a lot of hope and optimism uh, with the new Turnbull government. Let's hope that that all works out. Um, I think that with our free trade agreement with Turnbull um, and with a new renewed optimism about the future, I think that the next 10 years are critical for Australia in terms of the things I'm talking about here. And um, if, if uh, for those people who perhaps um, have been turned off the opportunity for various reasons, I really hope that uh, they will see this as the window um, into Asia to really start making a difference. And, and uh, I'm hoping everyone will take that journey. David Thomas, thanks very much. My pleasure. Thanks, Gihan. I hope you enjoyed the podcast and found something valuable for your personal and your professional life. And if you did get some value from it, I'd love it if you could do me a favor and give me a review and a rating in the iTunes store. And that helps to promote it to other people as well. And if you want me to share ideas like this live at your next conference, check out my speaking topics at gihanperera.com. You can also find out about my mentoring programs if you're interested in one-on-one work for yourself or your teams. And if you do want to engage with me in other ways, again, go to gihanperera.com where you can find my blog, my newsletter, my podcast, videos and webinar series. They're all free and they're all designed to help you leverage the potential of the individuals in your organization, your team and, of course, your own potential as well. This is Gihan Pereira. Bye for now. You've been listening to the iMatter Podcast. To subscribe, read the show notes, or leave your comments, visit iMatterPodcast.com. And remember, great minds don't think alike.